don't miss out on the opportunity to really build deep relationships with your peer group. It's amazing what you can get from your current role and the support and advice. And then also the better your relationships, the easier it is for you as you get promoted for them to support you in that promotion, especially when they become one of your direct reports. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm sitting here this afternoon at the Capitol Girls City Center with Jeanette. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, Jeanette Marks. Mm-hmm. Jeanette Marks, Chief Executive Officer of AirSwift. Before getting into it, I wanted to please ask everyone to support the show by taking a few moments to leave a review on iTunes and thank you in advance. So Jeanette, thank you for coming on. I'm really excited. You're my first female CEO. Why, thank you, Paige. I'm quite excited to be your first female CEO. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's discuss where you began in the industry. So if we talk about the industry, there's the oil and gas industry we can talk about, and then there's the broader industry that I'm in, which is human capital solutions. It's workforce solutions. So my my career started in workforce solutions many years ago, and just four years ago is when I came into the oil and gas specific for workforce solutions. So you want me to start at the beginning? Yes. yes. All right. Let's hear it. <laughs> so at the beginning, I... I've not many people say when they're going to college or when they're looking for a career that I want to be a recruiter or I want to be in this segment of workforce solutions or in HR. And I fell into it. I fell into it and I fell in love with it all at the same time. And that's because dealing with people every day is such a different day. And you may have some of the same tasks with different companies who want certain jobs filled and they need help with different recruitment in different areas, but every challenge is so unique and so different with the cultures of different companies that you work with and with the people that you're changing their lives as you're working on their careers and where they want to go next and staying in touch with them throughout throughout their career. So I fell in love with this industry many years ago and started working for a company, well, 19 years of my first part of my career was with the ADECO group of companies and with a number of different... ADECO? uh, Really? Yeah. No kidding. Yep. I did a couple temp jobs for ADECO. Did you really? Yeah. See? It was a great place to start. I actually started as a temp. (laughs) (laughs) It was a good way to start and to understand the industry a little bit more. They pulled me in and asked me to help out inside their office. And within a couple of weeks, I was back running a recruitment desk and threw myself right into it. So it was by happenstance. And as I started my career there, I just started to grow and grow and grow. This was out in California. Okay. And so I was out in California. I was went from recruitment to running large clients, to running offices, to running multiple offices, got into professional staffing and into consulting and just learned through it that it was something that I really excelled at and really enjoyed. So in Southern California, I was a regional vice president running large area through from LA County down south. And I got a little 
knock on the shoulder one day and our president asked and said, hey, can you talk to me? And that little tap turned into, will you move to the East Coast and we want to promote you to be a senior vice president. I was the youngest senior vice president that the company had ever had. Frankly, I think I was in the youngest management role of every step of my career that <laughs> the company ever had, but that didn't, that didn't stop me. That was just a new challenge to be able to deal with. Mm-hmm. Being young, being able to grow yes. your career, being viewed in certain ways, but being able to rise above it and be very mature about how you approach your business and how you act and how you can make decisions, even though you may not have as much ex- experience as other people around you. And that was a little bit of a game changer in my career for me at that point, because moving from California to the East Coast was not, was not in my plan, was not in the cards. I mean, it's total opposite side. You go from really nice weather to really different weather. To all seasons. All seasons, yes. <laughs> to all seasons, yeah. <laughs> so, and it was interesting because at that point in my life, five months before that, I was doing filling out one of my self-evaluations for my review, and I was chatting with my father, who was one of my mentors throughout, or has been one of my mentors throughout my career. And I always checked, yes, I'll relocate within California. I always said, never leave California. Why would I leave California? So what's outside of that? Yeah. And he said, why are you limiting yourself, Jeanette? So what do you mean? Why are you limiting yourself? Why do you put no? You should put yes and see what comes to you. And I said, okay. So that was the first time ever in my career that I checked yes, willing to have the conversation and relocate anywhere. So the conversation came quite a lot quicker than I anticipated it to come. And my husband and I had a long chat about it. Our son was 10 at the time. And we said, okay, uh, let's do this. And we packed up and moved over to the East Coast. And my career continued where I was running a large area, 42 offices, had quite a great business. A number of years later, our deco bought out the MPS group and got to head up part of the big acquisition for our finance and accounting division while running my own job still, doing my regular day-to-day job, moved into the ADECO side, and then moved into running the engineering group for North America. So each decision led me to a larger role, a different role, different skill sets to pick up along the way. Each moved me down a path that I did not expect, that was Mm -hmm. not in the plan. But sometimes when you go with it, it's interesting to see what comes of it. And then back in 2014, I um, joined Swift Worldwide Resources, which two years later merged with Air to become Air Swift. And my engineering experience and my experience broadly um, across an organization like ADECO, which I was able to pick up some global experience, work with counterparts around the world, gave me the ability to become chief operating officer of a global enterprise based in Houston. So again, different coast and said, let's move partway back, you know, (laughs) starting to work my way back on the third coast. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) It is a different coast. (laughs) One coast to the next to the next. Right. So came to Houston four years ago. The price of oil was $115 a barrel. Beautiful time. Looked like it was going to maintain some, some great healthy business for a while and, yeah, I got a little surprised. <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> Welcome to oil and gas. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I got to dive right in to oil and gas, which is amazing because at Air Swift, we focus on engineering technical positions that we hire staff 
and relocate all over the world for. So we do workforce solutions within energy. And so I took all of my workforce solutions experience, brought it over with me, and then really focused on the lessons I had learned in the past to really apply to what we did with our specific energy niche within this area. So as the market started to change, of course, we needed to change our business and start to adapt to that and work with all of our clients. We work with all the major operators. We work with a lot of EPCs. We work with a lot of national um, oil companies. So our folio of clients is quite diverse within energy and those conversations during that time was tough as you're a member of their supply chain and yeah. everybody was pressured during that time because it was market driven. Yeah. And so during that time, we made the decision to do a big merge and that merge was bold right in the middle of the down, downturn. But one of the highlights of my career and a great success because we brought Air Energy and Swift Worldwide together to become Air Swift. And it was a fantastic integration. The work that we did all around the world really made a lot of sense. And it was interesting to see two competitors come together who were fierce in their competition at different levels in different countries. Yet when we looked at it from an executive point of view, with all the countries that both both companies were in, we only crossed over in six. And our clientele didn't cross over that much. We were less than 10%. And when we got together, we realized that it was really less than 2% because we may work with the same companies, but in different locations. Ah. And so the merge was exceptional. It, it brought two strong companies together to make us really strong during the downturn and to be able to provide a lot more to our clients in more geographies all around the world. So we did Air Swift. We did our full implementation, worked through that. And my CEO at the time was always sharing with everybody that Jeanette is our global COO, is the succession plan. She will become the CEO. And this is what we're working towards. And this is what we're working to. And it's just a matter of when the right timing is. So that right timing came up in June. I was promoted to CEO and my past CEO became the chairman of our group. And we're now working towards our next stage of the of the company and our, our next goals that we have ahead of us. That's so exciting. Congratulations. Thank you very much. So what were specifically some of the challenges y'all had to face during that downtime? Like you said, you went through this almost seamless sounding merger to make you stronger. But what were specifically some of the, the challenges you had to face during that time? So we had a number of challenges. So when we talk about, we have thousands of contractors that work for us all around the world for various different customers of ours. And during that downturn, of course, with supply and demand during when talent was scarce, the engineers were scarce, it was harder to find them, you know, pay rates rose quite significantly. During the downturn, when all these companies were laying go, letting go of so many people, the big push was to then decrease pay rates. So one of our challenges was during this time, we had to have some of the most difficult conversations with those that were still employed that you have a job, but it's now priced at this rate. Mm. And do you want to stay? Where you at with it and we're here with you through it. But those were really difficult conversations for a lot of people to have around. So we were having that throughout the merge. And then you, you take that on top of whenever you merge two companies together, everybody starts to worry about, is my job safe? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for the people sitting next to me? And is my team going to be here? And what do I do about that? So they're having difficult conversations with, 
all of our contractors and negotiating with our clients to the best that we could to bring together the right answer and the right solution for everyone. And in the meantime, wondering where am I at? So the first challenge that we tackled was leadership. I think with any merge, whenever you bring together, the the unknown is what kills people. Yeah. So you want to get rid of the unknown as fast as possible. Right. So the first thing we did was we made sure that we knew the leadership from both sides as quick as possible. And when I say as quick as possible, we were doing our legwork before we actually closed on the transaction. And within two weeks after the transaction, we had our operating board together Wow! and our offers were out. So we worked really closely together to make that happen and to know that time was going to be of the essence to set the type of culture and the type of tone that we wanted at the company. That's pretty incredible. So that was something that we knew was, it was number one, because if you've got two different VPs sitting in a region competing for it, it just creates more anxiety. So we made those, hostility. It, it really does. So we made, we made those decisions quick and we had two big operating boards and we only needed one. So, and the other thing we really looked at was making sure we had a balance and a blend from both companies because it was the best from both and it was a true merger of equals. So we wanted to make sure that that was, that came across well and that that was part of the vision that people understood because depending upon what country they were based in, and which VP got the job made them feel like it was this side of the company or this side of the company. So instilling a global culture and then that local culture tied to it was also incredibly important. So the second thing we did was we looked at all the, it, we debated this because cost, of course, we're cost conscious. Right, we're yeah. in the downturn. You yeah. can't spend that much money, but people first, you put your people first and you make sure your people are good and the rest can follow. Your customers are good, your contractors, your everybody that you touch throughout your organization becomes, you know, more confident in what they're doing and more settled mm-hmm. and more more motivated and more engaged in what they're doing. So, one of the next things we did, we knew we wanted to bring the operating board together for their first meeting to set the tone and to set who we were. And you've got to start with vision, you know, values, yeah. mission statement, who are we? And For that piece of it, we took a look and we said, you know what, let's invite the top performers from each company and bring them together for this as well and have an awards trip, but a trip where they're setting the tone, where we get our top performers to help us with what are our values? What is our vision? Where do we want to be as a company? And really listen to the top performers of the year before. So our 2015 top performers were the ones who got to come to this in 2016 and in March. We we merged at the end of January. We had this meeting in March. Wow. And so we brought people in and representatives from all around the world. So all of our regions were represented. We had our first ops board meeting and we had all of our top performers be able to have a voice in who we were and what we were designing. And they became our ambassadors. They went back and they were excited about what we were doing and how we were doing it and were able to carry that torch back to each of their home countries to really share what, what it meant to be, you know, again, part of this new company that was so exciting and, and where we were going with it and where maybe our competitors were letting people go. We were good, you know, and we were growing and we're going to be all right. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was a really neat time to be able to drive that momentum and drive that forward. And I think the other part of it too was on the day that we announced the merge to the outside world, 
we had our microsite already up. We had our logo decided. We had everything picked out. So it went up just as quickly. And the, the big PR push that we had to show we are Air Swift and what that meant really helped all of our employees rally behind it and get a bit more excited about where we were going. So I think when you deal with the people element of it and you deal with that in a way where you really involve and let people's voices be heard and act upon the feedback that you're getting, you can really create a culture that is quite exciting and quite unique. You're allowing them to be actually be part of the company and voice their opinion and, and feel like all people feel as though if they're a part of something, they should be included in that. So that's right. Yeah. And they should. And the other thing we did at the beginning, we now do it over every every quarter, every couple months. But at the beginning, we did every two weeks. I was the COO at that time, so COO, CEO. We would host an all-colleague call where we did a video conference. And we would share what was going on and everything that was happening with the integration. And then we opened up the line for Q&A. And anybody in the company could ask us any question they wanted. Wow. And then before we were discussing how many, how many offices you have, you have over 60. That's right. So that's a, that's a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so in the beginning, there were lots and lots of questions, <laughs> so, but that also helped us with what we were doing and our plans and, and how we were, were being agile with our plans and changing what needed to change as we were working through it. So we kept that open line. We've got that open line to this day, but we changed the frequency as we went as less things were, were happening on, on a regular basis. So <laughs> right. communication was key, but we always left that open line, which I think was pretty critical. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. Extremely so. vital. So let's discuss your current role as CEO. You're, you're talking, you've been talking more about your, mm-hmm. your role as a CEO, but now let, let's kind of dive into that. So now you get the weight of the world on your shoulders. You've got everything. <laughs> well, I already feel that as a woman, period. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> there you go. You're right. Double it up. Yeah. <laughs> so no, as the CEO, I not only have all of our regions and our, so we've, we're set up where we've got recruitment, we've got our sales teams, we have our service teams who do all of the delivery and work with all of our employees around the world and our contractors around the world and help to make sure that they're set with visas, immigration, what country they should be in, their flights, how we get them in and out of countries and where they live. And so we've got quite a big organization on the operational side. And then we've also got our HR group. We've got all of our back office, you know, central functions. I've now got finance as well. So, um, oh, my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> team up with my CFO quite well. And we, we're working through quite a number of different bits to our strategy together. But every central function that I may not have been directly impacting before is now direct report into me. So, so that's all changed. But as CEO, it's, yeah, it's You're still getting used to that I one. I'm still you? getting used to it. It is, it is new. Yeah. So, I, I think I may be coming up on my two month anniversary. So, did just get the business cards in, which are pretty sweet. I must add. Well, if I meet you out there, I'll make sure you get one of our uh, thick business cards. Oh yeah. They're almost like credit cards. They're, they're more like, like a membership card. You know what? You got to stand out in the pack. And I tell you what, that's the way to do it. 
I do appreciate good business cards. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you won't ever lose it. <laughs> no, I won't actually. That's yeah. going in the in the wallet. Yeah. But as CEO, one of the first things I did, we timed it out to announce to the ops board when we were all together. So my leadership from around the world. And we did a session with our, our full shareholder and governance board together one day where we shared really what our, what our three year plan was, what our vision was towards that, you know, the transition and why we did the transition. And then I had the team for the rest of the week and we got to do all of our planning together and really dive into what our messaging was and what we wanted to be able to deliver back to our team again. And then the following week I had my first all colleague call where I was driving it all. So that those were that that was fun because we were really able to take some other elements of what we thought was really important and drive that through. And now we're we're working on that as a, some of our our big rocks that we're we're focused on this year, next year, and the year after. So let me ask you with all with you having people all over the world and and changes in our administration, how difficult has it been to get workforce out there and from different countries to wherever they need to be. Well, that's what we're specialists in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just, I figured it kind of may have gotten a little, little extra difficult all of a sudden. Well, you know what? We, you start to question whether it's Brexit, whether you have different rulers in, in play in different countries, how that's going to impact different immigration laws, yeah. which we watch quite carefully. But we also work with governments very carefully too and closely to make sure that we have the right ratios of locals to expats in different countries. Okay. So a lot of countries, have specific set standards that they work towards. So we're turning in our numbers. We're we're showcasing how we're really focused on making sure that we help to develop and grow the nationals within a specific country, as well as bringing expats in who may have a specific expertise that needs to be there for project. So you don't always have the nationals with a ready-made talent pool that has the specific engineering expertise to be able to deliver on the projects that all of our oil and gas companies are doing around the world. So you do have to find your right balance. And a lot of times this is one of the big challenges in the industry right now is how do you train and develop these nationals in different countries to get the skill sets that they need for the long term? Right. Which there's a lot of training that's happening, but a lot of the -the on-the-job training where they're sitting side by side with various different expats who are experts in their field, learning from them, but they may learn one aspect of it. So, so there, there's a lot that's going on right now to try to help these different nations educate and train up and skill up their talent, their people. But it is difficult in some countries. So, and it, it probably will get more difficult in, in different countries, dependent upon how you know, our, our economic policies continue to, to evolve. And that is something that we, we work through constantly to, to solve. So no, that, that is top of our agenda. That is one thing that I think is one of our biggest challenges to continue to work through. And it's not just being able to get somebody in country. It's to be able to get them in country at the timing that's needed because some visa processes can take quite a while in specific countries. Even ours sitting here in the U.S. Yeah, Um, no, that's kind of where you were going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, it's tough to bring different levels of experts into the U.S. And 
you really have to have a really good reason for it. And our unemployment rate is low. It's below 4%. So we're doing good with with really having good full employment around the U.S. and making sure that we're employing our citizens. There's also great talent that we may need to import for specific jobs where we don't have the right talent for it. So there's always a right blend. And I think that I sometimes say I feel like I'm a citizen of the world um, through all of my travels and all the different people that I get to meet. There is so much learning that goes on between different countries. And when you bring different people from different backgrounds into the same room to work together and to learn together and to understand different perspectives and different approaches to problems, it's amazing to see the solutions and what people can come up with. So that is one thing that I think is just We've got to be able to keep the the diversity of thought and the diversity of different countries and cultures coming together because we win as as mankind. Yeah, very, very good. If you had one piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? So a piece of advice, I'm going to go back earlier in my career and think through one of the things that as I accelerated my career and grew quite quickly There's one thing that I think I took for granted throughout my career, which I learned, and I think that's also something that really helped me get into my CEO job today, and that's my peer relationships. So I was always focused on my upline and my downline, my my direct reporting line, and great relationships up and down. My vertical was tight. So uh, great relationships, really focused on them, and I'm a pretty competitive person. So my, my, I feel like earlier on my competition, that, that side of me probably bled out a bit to my peer group more than it probably should have <laughs> versus to the outside competition. So I will own that. <laughs> I, I will say through my life that was brought up to me and I, I, I took it and it was something that I really needed to to think through because sometimes you look at your peers and I'm like, well, I don't touch your area. You don't touch mine. You're in a different geography. We don't even come together on this. I'm just going to focus on what I need to focus on. I've got numbers to hit. I'm here. Yeah. And when you open up your mind to your peer group and really learn to work with them and rely on them, it's an amazing thing that happens and how much you can grow from them, both you personally and them from you and where those relationships can take you. So, Fast forward to where I'm at today, as the COO, my peer group were all of the different direct reports to my CEO at that time. This move to me to become CEO was almost a non-event. To them, it was completely supported. To them, it was a no-brainer. And then to the rest of the company, they were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But that was because of the relationships I built with them and how we worked together and how we were open with each other and how we really came together through all of that. So my advice would be don't miss out on the opportunity to really build deep relationships with your peer group. It's amazing what you can get from your current role and the support and advice. And then also the better your relationships, the easier it is for you as you get promoted for them to support you in that promotion, especially when they become one of your direct reports which is always one of the tough things in leadership for people to to make that transition and say, well, we were peers, now you're my boss. Yeah. How do we work together? So that that would be my piece of advice for people as they're growing through their career and, and learning how to navigate their career a bit more. Stretch out. 
Yeah, you're making me think of old bosses right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> think through it. It's something sometimes people take for granted, and I know I took it for granted, so yeah. I don't anymore. Good, good. What book influenced you the most? My number one book that probably influenced the way I thought and slowed me down just a bit, but made me think differently, was The Leadership Pipeline. And The Leadership Pipeline, it's an interesting one, is by Ram Sharin, uh, Steve Drotter, and Jim Knoll. They, they talk about making sure that as you go through your career, you learn the skills that you're supposed to learn at each stage of your career. Ooh. So I was so gung-ho, I've got to get promoted, i got to go, i got to go, give me the next one, that this book opened up my mind to what do I need to learn in each of the steps that I'm in? And I'm learning enough so that I don't hit that peak where when I get promoted, I was over-promoted and I actually get let go. Mm. So you, you really want to make sure that you're picking up the key skills in each role as you move. And as you do that, the other piece to it is succession planning. So a lot of people talk about succession planning, but this book made me finally, it opened my eyes to, okay, I know how to execute. I know how to do my job. I know how to grow mm-hmm. this, but it was like, what do I need to learn in each new role I'm in? And how do I then really embrace that and execute that so that I know I'm ready for my next step? And as that Take comes, a second and breathe. Breathe. That's right. <laughs> I don't breathe a lot. I need to. <laughs> Got to work on that. <laughs> so I just go. And the other piece then was, okay, what about your succession plan? Because a lot of people think, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But your company is looking at, well, if I promote you, who's going to be in that role behind you? Who's mm. taking your role? So who are you lifting and bringing up with you? And as I think about all of my different promotions throughout my career, one of the things I'm most proud of is the legacy of people who got promoted behind me, who were ready, who had been trained, who knew that they were ready, and it became no-brainers. This is the person. Here's my successor. Sure, you want to move me to the East Coast? Here are the people who are going to take over, and here's six promotions that happen behind as everybody gets promoted up. That's super neat. So that's critical. And that's the piece that I think too, going back to some advice that some people will think I can't have, you know, somebody know too much or be able to take over my role because then they don't need me and they'll fire me and they'll just promote this person. It's not the way I've ever looked at it. I've looked at it as I can't get promoted unless I have those people ready. So I'm going to invest in them and I'm going to make sure they're ready and I'm going to challenge them and I'm going to call them out on things they don't want to be called out on. And I'm going to make it uncomfortable sometimes. Well, that's the only way you can grow. And I'm going to watch them grow. Yeah. 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 Excellent. <laughs> so what's your most used business tool? My most used business tool, probably my cell phone. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm on a, yeah, I'm on a plane quite a lot. So with all of the different countries that we operate in, I'm on the road let me rephrase. I'm in the air. <laughs> it's different locations. It's a really wide road. <laughs> 75% of the time. So wow. I'm constantly uh, in different places. I was in China last week. I was in the UK the week before. I, I'm constantly on the go in different places, meeting with our customers, meeting with our, our people, dealing with the various issues that we have going on and or spreading the word of what we're focused on and, and how we're pulling that all together and doing different different business reviews. So lots of different reasons to be in different areas. But I I would say that yeah my my phone probably doesn't leave my side hardly ever 
So, so I, I will definitely say that that's the way one. you, the way you make that work is you get an Apple watch. Got one. <laughs> <laughs> Check. So my, my Apple watch is the very first Apple watch that it came out. My husband bought it for me immediately, put me on the waiting list. I do love it. I do need to upgrade at some point. Three. This one's see, waterproof. Yeah, yeah. See, I need to upgrade. <laughs> I need to, I, there's a number of reasons to upgrade, but yeah, I've got to do that. But right now I do love it because it makes sure I live and die by my calendar. It's not on my calendar. It doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And I love that on my Apple watch, I've got my reminders of what's coming up and to keep me on track and to make sure I'm, I'm always on time to every meeting that I have. That's pretty important. It is. What's one of the, your most favorite places that you've traveled to thus far? So one of the places I really like, and it's because of people we have there and the culture that we have there. So we have three different regional offices. See, if any of my people listen to this, I can't answer this question. It's like asking somebody who their favorite kid is. Uh, so you can't answer that question. See, but I'm the mom to answer that question. <laughs> See, that's just wrong. <laughs> if your kids are around, they're going to question well, my, you. Yeah, but my kids don't listen to the show, so it works so out. So you're okay. Not till later in life, maybe. <laughs> It'll come back to haunt you. (laughs) I'm the parent that gets put in the nursing home. (laughs) But we have three main head offices. It's Houston, Manchester, and Singapore, which are all really fun to go to. And I've heard great things about all three of those. Yeah, no, they're, they're, we've got vibrant, great people in each of them, great cultures in each of them, all very different when it comes to, to where we're at. But Singapore was really amazing to me because it's, it's got such a blend of, of different people from everywhere. Kind of call it Asia light because it's an easy Asia, Asian right. uh, country to travel to. Right. But I've spent many of the weekends over there as I'm traveling through Asia. So most of the locals have told me I've seen more of Singapore than they have because I always make sure that I get out and see a new site or yeah. have a little bit of fun while I'm there too and take in some of the cultural bits so yeah. that I'm not just in a boardroom and then on a plane right. and at an airport. So that, that one's been. That one's been fun, but there's, I mean, last week in China, I just went and saw the pandas. That was fun. Oh, cool. Um, so I work really hard, but sometimes when you're in a country and they're known for something, you want to be able to taste yes. that. You want to see it. You want to be able to, to be where you're at. So I don't know. Every country has so much to offer. They're, they're fun to visit. Good. Good. Don't get me started on food. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that after. <laughs> so who would you say is your most respected competitor? We've got a few competitors that compete with us on the regular. I would say the one that probably is our most respected is the one that's of similar size that leads in a little bit of a different way, but is in our same geographies and hold up the same values of being compliant and and really driving their business in the right way. We probably all price our business the same way too. So when we're up against each other, we know okay, the difference is going to be the people sitting in front of each other and the relationships and, and what we can deliver if we can find a different edge with it. But there's, there's really only one that's probably really a respected one within it. No names. Okay. Not Fair paying enough. anybody a compliment on this. <laughs> <laughs> Let this be known. <laughs> one of those competitors could call me and say, were you talking about me? Maybe. <laughs> not quite the same as the uh, favorite country or favorite uh, children, <laughs> but it's close. <laughs> uh, what, what is your most important lesson learned? I think my most important lesson learned is always starting with the people. I know people say, you know, structure over people, get your structure right first, but I think there's so much to it to really 
get to know and understand your people first and make sure that you understand what they can bring to the table and maybe what they don't even know they can bring to the table. And it's really understanding your people at a level that helps to grow them to places they never knew were possible. So I would say really taking the time to know your people. And that takes time. It does. It does. And it's investing in that time and not being so overly only work driven that you don't take the time to get to know them, but to really get to know what, what their goals are, what their challenges are, what their true, you know, vision for themselves and their family and where they want to be are. So you can align with where you're at at your company and what you're doing. And when you connect at that level, you get so much more engagement and you get people who are going to be with you for years and years and years to come. Yeah, you get that loyalty. You through, do. And trust. Yes. That's a big part of it, yeah. I believe. Driven all the way through because there's so many issues that happen in day-to-day business. No matter what business you're in, no matter what you're doing, there are going to be fires to put out. There are going to be issues that come up. There's going to be somebody who's upset about something. And if you don't have trust in your relationships with the people that you're working with, that can drive a wedge. And those wedges just drive to a level that can become unbearable where you will have mass exodus and people will start to just disappear. So really building a culture of trust will increase the speed at which you make decisions and decrease your cost around oh, yeah. the company because you're quick, you look at what you can do, and trust is critical. So really building that trust, and that starts with your people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, do you have a favorite podcast? Mm. Not really. I can't say I have a favorite podcast in front of you. Okay. That's not fair. <laughs> That's Touché, ma'am. Touché. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so because I want our listeners to be so well-dressed and most importantly safe, be sure to go to www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast to win a Bulwark FR shirt and base layer. No purchase necessary to win. See official rules for details. Thank you so much for joining me, Jeanette. If people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about your company, how can they go about doing that? Airswift.com. Just go on airswift.com and we've got a feedback section. So go ahead and put your feedback in or you can look me up on LinkedIn, Jeanette Marks, right there. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I'll make sure to put links in the show notes for everybody so they just click on it and don't try to read and drive, folks. That's right. (laughs) Not safe. (laughs) No, not at all. And against the law in Texas, just saying. (laughs) All right. So that concludes this episode. Just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com. Oh, 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 oh,